morning, church. We're so glad that you guys chose to join us this morning. The last couple weeks, we've been learning a new song, so we hope that you guys will stand and worship with us this morning.
As we enter this time of communion, there's stations set up around the room and the black offering boxes if you do it that way, or you can give online as well. I'm excited about today. I'm glad you guys are here. Next service, we are ordaining um, our new elders and new deacons for the year, and they're doing it right at the beginning, so if you guys want to stick around, uh, feel free. Uh, but it's a, it's a great time, and I just appreciate it because I see men stepping up um, into the leadership role. And uh, as you guys probably know, they don't get paid, they don't do anything like that, but the church would not be where it is um, without those leaders, without the deacons and without the elders giving of their time um, and of their talents. 
And the type of leadership they are, it just reminds me like servant leadership is like the big line um, when I was in college of how you should lead. And where, you know, like I said, they don't get paid, they don't do anything except they serve. They serve others. And it just reminds me of, of Christ, who is our ultimate example of a servant leader who came down and wasn't the powerful king that people thought he would be, right? You know, of political side or military side, but just served people. And that's how he led. All the way to dying on the cross, serving us so that we could get to heaven, right? Serving you and me. And that was how he, how he led. So as we come to this time where we take the cup and we, we take the, the bread, let's remember not just these men here that are stepping up, but, but Christ, the ultimate example of that for us. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to, to worship you and hope that's pleasing to you, Lord. And just I uh, thank you for this congregation. I thank you for the men uh, that lead this congregation. But most importantly, Lord, I just thank you for Jesus and that you loved us so much that you sent him down to show us the way, to show us how to live, and to die on the cross because of your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
down for my tradition Break down the walls for my religion Your way is better Your way is better So shake up the ground for my tradition Break down the walls for my religion Your way is better Your way is better Honestly, say I never thought I would get to walk on a stage to that music. <laughs> never in my life did I believe that would happen. Jerry Seinfeld uh, claims that the luge competition in the Olympics is not really something that anybody actually trains for. It's just the only innocent bystander who can hang on all the way to the bottom of the hill. And I think there's probably a lot of truth to that if you ever uh, watch the luge competition. Olympics are starting uh, this week and they're huge and they're, 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 golly, billions of dollars that are spent worldwide and what they've done in Beijing to get ready for it. And contrary to what Seinfeld said, it does take a lot of preparation. In, in fact, there is a book that's written called The Boys in the Boat, written by a guy, Daniel Brown, uh, that tells the story of nine American young men that competed in the 1936 Olympics for gold medal in rowing. I, I was reading this week, and I just want to share some of what I, I found this week, reading about this whole story. The author, Daniel Brown, said, I knew only two things about this guy, Joe. When I knocked on his daughter's door on that day, I knew that he was in his mid-70s and that he had single-handedly hauled a number of cedar logs down a mountain and then hand-split the rails, cut the post, and installed all 2,000 linear feet of the pasture fence that I had just climbed over. That task alone, he said, was Herculean. And I shake my head in wonderment when I even think about it. And I knew that he had been one of nine young men from the state of Washington, farm boys, fishermen, and loggers who shocked both the rowing world and Adolf Hitler by winning the gold medal in the eight-oared rowing at the 1936 Olympics. Hitler had planned to use that, uh, that Olympics as a statement of what a great country Germany was, and any defeat was, was monumental. <coughs> but, it, he, but he goes on to say this, and this is the telling part. He says, it wasn't until I began talking about his rowing career at the University of Washington, that he started from time to time to cry. 
He talked about learning the art of rowing, about shells and oars, about tactics and techniques. He reminisced about long and cold hours on the water under steel gray skies, about smashing victories and defeats narrowly averted, about traveling to Germany and marching under Hitler's eyes into the Olympic Stadium in Berlin, and about his crewmates. But none of these recollections brought him to tears, though. It was when he tried to talk about the boat that his words began to falter and tears welled up in his eyes. And at first I thought he meant the husky clipper, the racing shell in which he had rode his way to glory. Or did he mean his teammates? The improbable assemblage of young men who had pulled off one of Rowan's greatest achievements. But finally, watching Joe struggle for composure over and over, I realized that the boat was something more than just the shell or the crew. To Joe, it it encompassed but transcended both. It was something, he said, mysterious and almost beyond definition. It was a shared experience. Hang on to that. A shared experience. A singular thing that unfolded in a golden sliver of time long gone when nine good-hearted young men strove together, pulled together uh, as one and gave everything they had for one another. Bound together forever by pride and respect and love, Joe was crying, at least in part, he said, for the loss of that vanished moment, but much more, I think, for the beauty of it. I think that description of those those guys coming together for that single task and that single moment, but all the time of training and getting, I think that was very descriptive of how family should be, of working hard for a defining moment. Now, the reality is that this, this, this description of Joe and these guys in this boat is in stark contrast to Seinfeld's just grab on and hang on, make, hope you make it to the bottom. Because preparing for the Olympics is much more than just hanging on. And no one just shows up. I, I mean, it starts this week. None of you could just go get a flight to Beijing, show up and say, hey, I want to, I want to compete and lose. It's, it's not going to happen. It, 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 it takes years and years of training. Just like Christian marriages and families are lifelong endeavors as well. The preparation has to start long before one person says, will you marry me? And someone else says, Yes. There's years of preparation and growth and training involved. And so Philippians 2 in your Bible, if you want to get your Bible and open Philippians 2, we're going to be in Philippians 2 for the next three weeks. You talk about honing in on a chapter of Scripture. And we're going to look at this awesome chapter in the Bible where the Apostle Paul tells people about the wonderful, awesome, spectacular character of Jesus Christ. And he challenges the readers to make lifelong endeavor of adopting that character into their lives. Now, I realize that when Paul was writing this, he wasn't writing a blueprint for marriage. In fact, what he was writing was kind of a blueprint for Christian living. However, I think think if we follow that plan for Christian living and apply it directly to our families, we'll be on our way to gold medal families. In fact, when you came in today, or some of you got in first and now have had it handed to you, we got you little gold medals. And and, and our hope is that you'll take those gold medals and that you'll hang them from your rearview mirror, that you'll put them on a light switch at home, that you'll just put them on your desk at work, wherever it needs to be, where you can see that as a reminder of what you're striving for, of having godly gold medal families working and growing together. And see... Athletes are encouraged to set goals in their training. So they have to push themselves as they train. And there's all kind of terminology that's thrown out when it comes to training. Probably one of the most common ones is no pain, no gain. And and that's a pretty true one. That's pretty accurate. It's pretty accurate in training for an athletic endeavor. But it's also pretty accurate in family. Because the more we try to grow, the more we get stretched, sometimes it causes pain. In fact, a lot of times it causes pain. 
And, and there, there's no comfort in a growth zone and there's no growth in a comfort zone. And so we have to work through that. The weightlifter is always challenged to lift 10 pounds more. Uh, the runners and swimmers are challenged to cut just one more second or sometimes even a tenth of a second off of their time. And when they achieve a certain goal, then they're challenged to set a new one. Not just to be satisfied, but to keep pushing forward. And so here in Philippians 2, we see all that. And in the first four verses, where we're going to be today, Paul gives us three great training goals, mental exercises for people who want to have gold medal families together. The first one is in verse 1, and that's simply get to know your coach. Get to know your coach. Be a unit, be united and unified with Christ. Look at verse 1. It says, if you have any encouragement, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Do you see what Paul just spent some time doing? He just spent some time kind of describing Jesus Christ. One of the earliest things I learned in coaching, where I, I started coaching before I even did youth ministry, and I thought that was going to be my career path. And one of the early things I learned in coaching, especially coaching college athletes, was it became really important to understand the athlete and to know that certain athletes needed a coach that they're just kind of wired that they need a coach that's kind of like almost always in their face and pushing them and driving them and challenging them. And other athletes, like, crumble at that. They need a coach that's going to just be the encourager and tell them how good they're doing and softly make suggestions for improvement. And, and one of the arts of coaching is figuring out which athlete is which. And, and which athlete needs it. And a lot of on a major college or on a pro level, a lot of times that's where assistant coaches come in. Is that they know, okay, this, this, this player, this athlete... Just need someone to put their arm around them. Someone to encourage. Now, in certain situations, there's an assistant coach that just as tough as anybody. And they're the ones that are kind of like getting up in somebody's grill and, and pushing them forward. But you got to know the athlete. And the athlete, stay with this, the athlete has to get to know the heart of the coach. And to know, be able to know and trust and so Paul's saying, you, you, you know, Christ knows you. You've got to get to know him. And I think living a godly Christian life requires a little bit of both. In fact, I'm, I'm confident of that. Living a godly, Christ-filled life requires sometimes a little bit of kicking the seat of the pants from an accountability partner saying, come on, suck it up, buttercup. You can do better than that. Let's go. Life's real. Let's go. And other times it needs a coach that they can cry on the coach's shoulder. That they can be encouraged in that. And Paul said that our encouragement should come from being united. If you've got, you got a pen or something, underline that in your Bible. That whole phrase, united with Christ. And understanding that he is the ultimate coach. It's the first key ingredient to be united and to listen to the greatest coach of all time. It would arguably be said that in football, in the NFL especially, that Vince Lombardi was the greatest football coach of all time. He, the, the Super Bowl trophy is called the Vince Lombardi trophy. It's named appropriately. And yet Vince Lombardi would always be re recognized because every year, every year, every year, Every year, as long as he coached, his first statement to the team in the fall of the year was to hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. Value this. Because he, even though he's talking to professional football players, he knew that at the end of the day, we can't get where we're going if we don't value this. This is the football. Value this. In families, what do we hold up and say, value this? What do we hold up and say, value this because the, the word christian just simply defined means being christ-like and, and jesus taught that a student becomes like his teacher a, a disciple becomes like his master and, and if we make the obvious comparison to the athlete and coach then we see that the athlete becomes like the coach and so gold medal families become like the ultimate coach and teacher jesus christ look back at verse one in your text 
There's three words in, in, in there that describe Jesus. Compassionate, full of fellowship, and tenderness. I was doing some research, and I, I always like to kind of look over in Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. And I love how this is phrased. In fact, I'm going to come back to that all through these four verses. But in verse 1 of The Message, here's what it says. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care. You, you see the questions that he's asking? I think they're great questions for us to ask ourselves as we start into this journey. And maybe as you're looking at that gold medal this week, have you gotten anything from Christ and being united with him? Have you gotten anything out of that? The second question, has his love made any difference in your life? Does Christian community and fellowship and friends, does that mean anything to you? Do you have a heart that actually cares about people? My hope would be the answer to all those questions is yes. But if it's not, that's okay. But understand that's a great place to start. If you don't just immediately, yeah, yeah, those things are important to me. That's a great place to, on an individual basis, start training and realize that's something I need to work on. You know, an, an athlete may start their training by, by looking at their diet. Say, I got to do a little bit better about what, I, what I'm taking into my body. Uh, an athlete might have to look at how much time they actually spend in the gym. And am I really working to get better at that? You know, then there's the technical things depending on what the athlete is participating in. If it's a, if it's a javelin thrower or my strides right before I let go of the javelin. If it's a runner, strides might be thing. If it's a, if it's a basketball player and my conditioning and is my arm right in the right position when I shoot. Those things come, but it just starts with the basics of, am I really working at this? Am I eating right? Am I training hard? David Jeremiah, a preacher, talks about this and getting to know Jesus as a friend who, and he describes Jesus. That's right. I love this description. He says, Jesus was open and spontaneous. I, I, I don't know if you guys have gotten into it. Uh, Kim and I started watching the, uh, the, the mini series called The Chosen, which is just a fantastic, fantastic visual uh, depiction of the life of Jesus. Now, there's some poetic license as with any movie or art, but there's just some things. And the interaction of Jesus that's open and spontaneous. And there was, we were watching an episode last week and one of the, one of the guys said something, one of the disciples said something and Jesus kind of was kind of quick on the draw of a kind of a smart aleck remark and everybody kind of got quiet and Jesus goes, too soon? You know, it's like, that's something we would say. You know, that, that's something we would say. And he was open and spontaneous. He, he was accepting of people and yet pointed them to the truth. He took them where they were and pointed them to the truth. They brought a woman, a naked woman to him who had been caught in the very act of adultery. And, and the law said stone her and kill her. And Jesus talked them out of it. And then he wrapped his arms around her and dressed her and said, don't do that anymore. Go and sin no more. Doesn't matter to me where you've been and what you've done, but don't do it anymore. So he was, he was accepting of people while pointing them the truth. He had such a great sense of humor in some of his stories about uh, a camel going through the eye of a needle that's kind of uh, hilarious even just to think of. He, he thought it was good to spend time alone with God. And he was this creative and marvelous storyteller. He loved to tell stories about his father telling stories and telling your story it's critically important it helps build the family if you are a parent or a grandparent telling your stories help nature the following nurture the following generations that come behind you even in recovery in the 12 steps the 12th step is all about telling your story about carrying the message to others ann wilson the singer from lexington would say let me tell you about my jesus and then she would sing about what it was like to follow Jesus. But it can't be 
your stories about Jesus have got to be based for your kids' sake, for your grandkids' sake. They've got to be based on this. For your friends' sake that need here, they've got to be based on this. Because if your stories, if your stories are just your made-up stories to fit your wish list about Jesus, they won't stand up. It's got to be Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus of the Bible. Now, families today need to hear about that Jesus because they're faced with some incredible, incredible odds. Listen to these statistics. and Some of them will be on the screen behind me. In the next 24 hours in America, it is estimated that 1,439 teenagers will attempt suicide. The 12 young people between 15 and 24 will actually die from suicide. That two will be murdered. That 2,795 teenage girls will become pregnant. 3,506 children will run away from home. Over 15,000 will use drugs for the first time. And that 20%, at least 20% of our adolescents today are living with some form of mental illness. The family has got to come together And the family needs to be united with Christ and get to know the coach. And get to know the one who can make a difference. So, with all that said, and and I'm really sensitive about this today. So, I I just want to take a couple minutes right in the middle of this. And can we kind of hit pause? And let me just speak as, not as a pastor, but as as a friend, as a dad as a poppy my favorite title i'm going to make an assumption this morning in all three of our services that everybody that's here today is somewhere on a spectrum between investigating god seeking god and truly trying to follow god otherwise my assumption is they wouldn't have chosen to come if at the very least they're not open to investigation and many of those troubling statistics that i just read are directly tied to living in a fallen broken genesis 3 world that's lost sight of the teaching of the bible so what i'm going to do today is ask everyone in all the services to at least be open I'm going to make a guarantee. And the guarantee I'm making to everyone today is this, this fellowship of believers is a judgment-free zone. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, who you've done it with. I'm going to make a disclosure to everybody that in the midst of being a judgment-free zone that we believe and we're going to teach the Bible and nothing else. I'm going to make a request that people would just open their heart to the love of God and his teaching that's throughout the Bible. And I'm going to make a challenge that we would all at least agree on a goal of being Christ-like in everything we do, being like-minded with Christ. Which brings us, I think, to the second teaching in this passage. It's in verse 2. Not only do we need to get to know our coach and be united with him, we need to agree on a goal. We need to be like-minded. Paul said in verse 2, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And when I looked at that in the message, here's what it said. He said, Paul said, Then do me a favor. Agree with each other, love each other, and be deep-spirited friends, no matter what. People will see the mindset of Christ as you develop, I think, those three things. That you agree with each other, that you love each other, that you be deep-spirited friends. To agree with each other. Listen to what, what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about agreeing with each other. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he said, Brothers and sisters... I make my appeal to you, and I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask that all of you agree with one another in what you say. I ask that you don't take sides. I ask that you are in complete agreement in all that you think. Now, how is that possible? 
What he's asking them to agree on is this. The Word of God. That you would be in agreement on that. That you wouldn't try to make it your Word. That you wouldn't try to... You know, I joke a lot about the the 67th book of the Bible, Second Opinions. And a lot of things that people want to quote are actually found in somewhere in Second Opinions, chapter 4 or 5. It really doesn't exist. But that, that God's Word does. And that we would agree with each other. Even, even when, we, when agreeing with each other on this is, is accepting and understanding and admitting, I'm not living this way. But we agree that this is the plan. This is the goal. This is the training method. Just like an athlete, sometimes I say, yeah, I, I, I didn't win today. And when I'm really honest, it's, I didn't train right. The, the goal was there. The goal was right. The, the way to do it was I just didn't do my part. And I got to own that and deal with that. And so Paul says, agree with each other in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he said and taught. The second thing he said there is be deep-spirited friends. Be deep-spirited friends. Have be full of the Spirit of God. In Romans chapter 8, he said, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That same Spirit lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit that's living inside of us. You know, it's like you hear these stories. You see these amazing things. There are going to be some amazing stories <clears throat> come out in the Olympics in the next two weeks. There's going to be some amazing stories. Today, there is some person that has showed up in Beijing and is getting ready and doesn't think they really have a shot at gold and they're going to stand on that center stand sometime in the next two weeks. Everything's going to just line. All their training and all their work is going to be just right and they're going to stand there and they're going to hear their country's national anthem played. And they, they're going to look back and they go, I, I don't know how that, that happened. There are times in the Christian life that you're going to find yourself standing center stage on the highest podium and you're going to look back and go, it worked. It worked. I don't know how it worked. I know how. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you. Once you've made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and empowering you beyond where any individual training can possibly take you. And we lean on that. And we lean on the friends that are spirit-filled in the same way. And then we truly love each other. Truly love each other. David Ireland wrote a book called Letters to an Unborn Child. It's all about the life he and his wife Joyce had of not being able to have any children because of his physical handicap. He wrote this part, and I just, I just want to straight read it to you because trying to tell it wouldn't do it justice. He said, few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it entails what it does for us. It means that she has to dress me and shave me and brush my teeth and comb my hair and wheel me out of the house and down the steps, open the garage, put me in the car, take the pedals off the chair, stand me up, sit me in uh, the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car, start it up, back it out, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get back in the car and drive off to the restaurant. And then it starts all over again. She gets out of the car and folds the wheelchair, opens the door, spins me around, stands me up, seats me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedals out, closes and locks the car, wheels me into the restaurant, and then takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down to have dinner and she feeds me throughout the entire meal. And then when it's over, she pays the bill and pushes the wheelchair out to the car again and reverses the entire same routine. And when it's all over and finished and the real warmth, she'll say to me, Honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. That's love. It's love on the greatest scale. It's what God calls and enables families to do 
Whether it's that initial relationship of, of a husband and wife, a man and a woman coming together and loving each other that way, or if it's that 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 those parents loving their children and seeing them through difficulties, it's loving the way Jesus loved. It's greater love with no man than he laid down his life for his friends. The final thing that we're called to do as we wrap this up is to play for the team. Play for the team, thinking of others. Look back in our text, verse 3 starts off, Do nothing, underline nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Hmm. It's so easy in a world that we live in today to focus on self. Everything, in fact, I would argue is largely geared to self. And it's easy to focus on your own needs and not think of the entire family. I read a story this week, a little boy that was lost inside of a busy shopping mall. He's just standing in, in the middle of the mall and, and just crying out, I want my mommy, I want my mommy. And people who passed by felt so sorry for him. And they didn't know where mommy was. So they'd reach in their pocket, their purse, and give him nickels and dimes and quarters, trying to cheer him up. And finally, a salesperson from the floor walked up to this distraught little boy and says, I know where your mommy is. He said, I do too. Can you just keep quiet? I've got a good thing going here. (laughs) That is funny, isn't it? (laughs) But you know what? Somewhere in that mall, there was a distraught mommy that didn't have a good thing going. It's so easy to look at our thing and what are we gaining and how are we benefiting? Are we coming out ahead in this situation? And totally forget about what it's doing to other people that care about us. Totally forget about what it's doing to our spouse or to our parents or our grandparents or on the other side to our grandchildren in the way or our children in the way that we act. But, But having a gold medal family is a team sport. You, you know the old adage, there's what? There's no I in team. Yeah. But God's design is that each person in the family plays a unique role in the structure and the function of the family. I, I think about this all the time because right here in the middle of this gold, gold medal family series, not only are we going to have the Olympics, but in the last week of this series, they're going to play this kind of important football game. And it's going to be all a big deal. And there's so many great, great, great Super Bowl stories. And they happen and they're monumental and teams win and they get rings and and they get raises. And a lot of times the guys that make the biggest difference go unremembered. Anybody know just right off the top of your head the name of the New York Giant that a few years ago caught the ball against his helmet? You can probably visually remember that, but do you know his name? What about the guy when Adam Vinatieri was winning Super Bowls, consecutive Super Bowls, kicking field goals in the last minute, and he became one of the greatest kickers of all time, will make it into the Hall of Fame for his accolades of winning the Super Bowl. And does anybody know who held the ball for him? Or who snapped the ball to him? Oh, the other nine guys that were on the line blocking so that nobody got to him. Every person on the team has a critical role. And it's true in the family as well. And so I'm going to give you eight things that I want you to work on. All right? Eight things that I want you to work on for the next two months. All right? And it's so you either got to be really quick writing these down or, or have a phone with a camera on it and take pictures here in just a minute when they pop up on the screen. Because I'm going to give you a list of eight things. And if you'll just, over the next eight weeks, go down the list and for a week work on on number one. And then for another week, work on number two and number three. At the end of eight weeks, see how different your family might look and might feel. Number one, have a shared vision for the family. What it is and how you're going to work on maintaining that functioning team. What's your role on the team? Two, actually trust all the team members. Kids trust parents. Parents trust kids. 
and everybody listen to one another. Number three, appreciate differences of family team members. Realize we're not all alike. And, it's, and, and the, probably the least important thing that's not alike is the way we look. Now, in family, some of us may have family resemblances, but we are different. Appreciate that. Number four, have very clear expectations of team members. The obvious thing there is to think parents have expectations of your kids or grandparents have expectations of your grandkids. But understand that 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 chain goes back up the other way. And it's completely appropriate for kids to have expectations of their parents. That mom and dad are going to provide for me. They're going to protect me. They're going to be there for me. And those expectations go both ways. Number five. Communication is a major key in teams. You've been watching the football game and all of a sudden somebody jumps off sides. The quarterback's out there calling the play and, and he's calling the cadence and all of a sudden somebody stop, jumps off side and everybody looks at him like, dummy. We said we're going on two, not on one. And everybody looks at, you know what's even funnier? It's when everybody moves except the center. Everybody else got the, except the guy who had the ball didn't get the right snap count. And everybody else moves except him. And that person, it kind of becomes obvious who messed up them. And it's all about communication. Did you hear what we said in the huddle? Families need to have that same kind of communication. Are we running the same play? Do we know what we're doing? How are we functioning together? Are we communicating about that? And are we communicating when there's failure just like when there's success? Number six, conflict resolution is essential in any team. Conflict resolution. Number seven, Make sure everyone knows that they're an important part of the family. Everyone. Husband, wife, kids, grandkids, everyone is important. And number eight, give opportunities for family team members to try out new skills. Hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you take this lead in this? You work on those things for eight weeks? And I'd love to hear some stories about how God changes families. But this only works if we're committed to know and to trust our coach, and to agree on our goals, and to play for the team. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others in your family. I, I told you I was going to compare it to the message all the way through this thing. And so for these final verses of this section, the message says this. I love this. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. As we wrap this up, some final thoughts and moving toward this bottom line here. I think we all want gold medal families. The only way to truly, the only way to truly win the prize and stand on the top of the podium full of true peace and happiness is to do it God's way. It's the only way. When it comes to family, the only way you're going to have a gold medal family It's to do it God's way. His way is better. And and if you want to train for a great family, remember these three important rules in your training. Put God's way first. Put God's way first. It's not about you. And never quit. Never give up. Never quit. See, the world we live in is going to tell you all sorts of things. It's going to fill your mind with all kinds of false teaching about what relationship is supposed to be and what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. The world's going to give you all kinds of things. It's also going to fill you with false hope in your heart. So my hope today is that 
that as we sing this this final song that we'll make it about family and that you'll truly make room for God to do what he's going to do in your family because his way is better would you guys stand with me as we sing this last song Jason's back at our decision room if you just need to if, if you need to accept Christ and you need to know what that looks like and talk, go back there and talk to Jason if you need somebody to pray with you go back there we got other folks that have come back there and help but let's make this our prayer that we're going to make room for God to make our family what he wants it to be Double make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to. Double make room for you to do whatever you want to. Tradition, break down the walls for my religion. Your ways better, your ways better. So shake up the crowd for my tradition. Break down the walls for my religion. Your ways better. guys in this service that have already fought your way through a lot and you and you're on the other side we've got a lot of families that are still in the fight deep in the fight and they need some people to be praying for them mentoring them encouraging them in the journey And so maybe that's the part of your life that when we sing that, that maybe that's what you need to make room for. That, okay, I'll I'll be willing to share and try to help based on what I've learned of being in the battle. I want to remind you guys, first of all, that this week we start on Tuesday night will be the beginning of our uh, Financial Peace University for this semester. Today is the last day to sign up for that because you need to be signed up ahead of time. And Pat and Cindy Murphy are out in the lobby and would love to explain everything to you and walk you through getting you signed up if you're interested in that. Uh, we've got the daddy-daughter uh, dance coming up. We've got the couples thing coming up. We've got a Super Bowl party coming up and there's sign-up sheets for all that back there and you can get tickets for the daddy-daughter thing from any of our youth staff i would ask you to pray this week while i'm asking for prayer uh for our staff uh tiffany's already gone and about four or five of us are getting on planes today headed to savannah uh, georgia to spend a few days at compassion christian church a church that's kind of the next level beyond us and just try to learn and take some stuff in so uh, we're on our way down flying back wednesday so just keep us in prayer there'll be uh, some of the team will still be here but about five or six of us are 
are going down. Uh, so keep that in prayer. Uh, and also at the very beginning of the next service, the 10 o'clock service, uh, we will be ordaining two new elders and four new deacons. And so even I know a lot of you guys stay around for ABFs and then maybe if you want to just plan on coming in right, it'll be right at the very, very beginning. And maybe you can just kind of hang in the back and be there for a part of that and encourage uh, the men that are being ordained uh, as elders. Sebastian uh, Aspiaga, uh, Chloe's dad, uh, who leads our Hispanic service and John Mayer being ordained as elders uh, and then Stan Gauss and Scott LeCount and Richard Clawson and Michael Duke are being ordained as deacons. So that's going on today. Thank you guys for being here. If this is your first time on your way out, stop at the I'm New Wall. See the guys out there. Make sure you got one of those gold medals. Let's go love God, love people, and change the world. See you guys.